Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I love technology, and uh, computers have made our lives so much easier and so much more productive, haven't they? Right? I mean, when I was in college, I remember uh, word processors and computers, they were just being uh, used by normal people, just starting there. I remember having to write college papers on a typewriter, and if I was lucky, my friend, she'd let me borrow her word processing typewriter. Remember those? You could get like three or four lines in, and then you could type it out. I mean, we can't even imagine now typing out papers or handwriting projects or reports or anything that we uh, would do for work without a computer. And while we love our computers, like we saw in the video, there are times when we just can't handle it, right? When things like this happen, right? The blue screen of death, right? That comes up, oh man, did I lose my dissertation? Did I lose all my family photos? What is going on here? I can't handle it. Even the Macintoshes, right? I mean, they're supposed to be a superior machine, but sometimes you get the spinning pinwheel of death and you wonder what's going to happen to my data, to my life. Well, sometimes we look at our lives and if you got a Mac, right, you got to hold down the power button. If you got a Windows, you got to control alt delete. Control alt delete to reboot your computer, to reset it, to bring it hopefully lowered to back to normal working condition. The reality is we have blue screens of death. We have spinning rainbow pinwheels in our lives too, right? We have things that have happened in the past or things that are going on right now in our life. And all we wish we could do is press control, alt, delete, and reboot it. Start over from the beginning. Everything will be no problems in our lives. Well, that's what we're going to talk about for the next five weeks. We're embarking on a five-week series to control, alt, delete, to reboot our lives. And the Bible gives us the secret to rebooting. It gives us a different word, and the theme basically for our um, series, Acts chapter 3, verse 19, is this. Repent, it says. Repent and turn to God. That's reboot and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Repent, that's the biblical word for reboot. Now, repentance is far more than regret because a lot of us have regrets in our lives, and a lot of times regret has to do with sort of selfishness. We regret we did something because of the things it did to our lives, and we regret it because of how it affects us in a sort of selfish way. Repentance takes that to a whole new level. Repentance is when we stop in our tracks and we say, whether it's something in the past or something in the present, this thing I'm doing, that I'm thinking, that I'm acting, that I'm saying, this thing that's within me is broken. It's wrong. It's sin. Repentance is when we acknowledge that. We turn from it and we turn to God. In this series, that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at some areas where we sort of get stuck and we need to repent and reboot and turn around. And today we're going to start big. We're going to talk about righteousness in the weeks to come, we're going to talk about peace, desires, youth, and love. I know it's Valentine's Day. I know all you lovebirds out there wanted to do love today, but you got to wait five weeks for it. <laughs> but I do pray for all you lovebirds that the love of God is the center of your love for each other on this Valentine's Day. But we're going to be going through a series, Control-Alt-Delete. Everybody's going to get one of these as you leave today if you haven't already gotten one. And our life groups are studying through it. Uh, Grab some friends if you want to study through it. Maybe do it with your family or do it by yourself. 
Each week, each of these themes is sort of unpacked in our lives and how we can control, alt, delete, how we can reboot. We're handing them out to you as lead the day, so pick one up. But what our topic is for today is righteousness. Now, what is righteousness? Now, if you're from my generation, you know, righteousness is a big word. We can, we can scoot it down to righteous, and you remember Ferris Bueller, right? What did they think he was? He was a righteous dude, right? Ferris Bueller was a righteous dude, and it kind of gets at it. He was righteous in the eyes of his peers. He had a certain standing in his high school community, right? He was accepted for his behavior as a cool guy, a righteous dude. Well, in a way, that's kind of like what righteousness is, but it's in a relationship with someone else. It's with God. When we have a righteousness with God, it means we are in a right standing with God. And we are conducting and being and acting and thinking in ways that are of glory to him, righteous in his eyes. The thing is that we all have a fundamental problem. We think that we are better than we are. We think that we are more righteous than we actually are. Let me give you an illustration from my own life. I used to be a director of Christian education about 20 years ago, starting out in ministry and church work, and I, and, uh, I was a youth guy, junior high, high school, and did music and, and all this stuff, and we're a little small little church, about 200 people, and then by the time, you know, after about three years, we really built up our youth ministry. We had, you know, 50, 75 kids on a Wednesday night. It was awesome. And I thought, oh, I know how to do this. You know, I know how to public speak. I'd, I'd have the Bible. We'd read it a little bit, maybe tell a story or two. I'd interact with the kids, and we'd banter back and forth. And I thought, you know, I got this public speaking thing down. Went down to seminary, and I got my, one of my first classes was homiletics. That's preaching 101. Had to preach my very first real sermon. So I got up there, and I wrote a few notes down. I, got, I, 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 know, I know how to do this. I got this in the back. Show up to class, 30 of my colleagues, the professors there, the guy that goes before me, I mean, he just like hit a home run, grand slam, out of the park sermon. And I'm sitting there going, I got to follow this guy. I get up there and it was the worst sermon I have ever preached in my entire life. The worst sermon that you would have ever heard. It was terrible. It's like a train wreck. I mean, the plane took off and it just, boosh, shattered. Terrible. I thought that I was better than I actually was. We have this thing called a self-serving bias, okay? Thomas Gilovich, he, he did a study of high school students, okay? 100% of high school students rated themselves, okay, 100% rated themselves above average in their ability to get along with other people. 60% claimed to be in the top 10%. 25% claimed to be in the top 1%. See, that math, it doesn't really add up, Right? He, he, he continued to study. The next slide says this. 70% of high school students rated themselves above average, right, in their leadership ability with only 2% rating themselves below average, okay? That math is not at. That's the self-serving bias. The self-serving bias gives us a distorted view of who we actually are. It leads us to take credit for things when they go well. So in high school terms, I got an A plus in the biology exam. Why? Well, because I'm awesome. I studied hard. I'm superior intellectually. I'm the best at what I do. I'm the best student in the school. Self-serving bias would say on the other side, if you got a D- minus on the biology exam, well, it wasn't my fault. It's a teacher. Do you see that exam they wrote? And you see the biology text? It was totally corrupted. I mean, why are we even studying biology? This whole entire curriculum is messed up. I'm going to be a businessman. I don't need biology. The whole system is wrong. Self-serving bias. We have a distorted view of ourselves. Now, what, 
what do we do when we apply that to our own righteousness? If we have a self-serving bias and we can't really see ourselves truthfully and honestly, what's going on? How are we viewing ourselves when it comes to righteousness before God and good behavior and all those sort of things and good standing before God? You know, we're not even getting a B minus in that. The scriptures say F, F minus. Maybe it's even an incomplete, you would say, when it comes to righteousness. That's what leads us to our text today from Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, the apostle Paul, he gives us the truth, the straight up truth on his own righteousness. And when he gives us the truth on his own righteousness, we learn a little bit about ourselves. He says this, St. Paul, okay, he's writing this to the Romans. He says, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Nothing good lives in me. That's zero points on the righteousness test. St. Paul, the guy who wrote so much of the New Testament. See, Paul is having a gap, a gap in his life between what he aspires to do and what he actually does. Right there. I have the desire to do what is good. I aspire to it, but I cannot carry it out. Verse 19, the Apostle Paul continues and says, For what I do, it's not the good that I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Talk about transparency, right? I remember the first time I read these. I was in high school. First time I was pointed to these verses from Romans chapter 7. St. Paul, he's being so transparent with his struggle with sin. And in one way I was like, ah, oh, thank God I'm not alone. There's someone else out there, and it's St. Paul. He's struggling with sin in his life. I struggle with sin in my life every day, all day. Anybody else out there struggle with sin in your life? Raise your hand if you struggle with sin. Okay? We struggle with sin. And there's something about being transparent about it. There's something about sharing that story. There's something about when we see St. Paul, St. Paul saying, I struggle with sin. I keep on doing what I don't want to do. He's talking about a righteousness before God. St. Paul is saying, I can't be righteous on my own. And he's not just talking about the things that he's done wrong, sins here and there. He's talking about his nature. He's talking about all the way back from Adam and Eve, we've inherited this thing called original sin. It's corrupted who we are. It's corrupted our standing before God. But he owns it, right? St. Paul's not a victim. He's not saying Adam and Eve made me do it or my parents made me do it or the devil made me do it or my culture or my teachers or whoever made me do it. St. Paul owns the sin in his life. He doesn't try to explain it all away. He knows that he's guilty. He even calls the things that he does wrong evil. We're afraid of that word, applying it to our lives, but St. Paul does. It's what leads him to finally say in Romans 7.24, he says this, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? What Paul is saying here is he's saying, how can I deal with this unrighteousness in my life? How can I deal with my struggle with sin? How am I going to overcome it? My friends, there's three ways that people usually deal with unrighteousness in their life. The first one is this. It's a plan, okay? Have you ever tried to make a plan to overcome sin in your life? It usually goes by the way of New Year's resolutions, and how many, of you, how many of you fulfilled all your New Year's resolutions from January 1? Mm-hmm. 
Okay, we got one out there. So we still we have we have we have a lying problem in the church this morning. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm just kidding. All right. Well, check out this guy up here on, on, the, on the slide. You know who that is? Benjamin Franklin, right? Statesman, inventor, founding father of the United States of America, great intellect, huge accomplishments, unbelievable success in the history of our nation, the United States of America, founding our country, right? He's got drive. He's done a lot. He's accomplished more than anyone in this room probably, So he set out to put that drive into his own personal life. He decided he's going to work on his virtues. He's going to work on sin and unrighteousness in his life. And so he decided each week I'm going to tackle a new sin. I'm going to achieve a new virtue. And then the next week I'm going to move on to the next one and the next one and the next one. And he thought that he could conquer all his faults and attain righteousness, attain perfection. Just like he conquered all these other obstacles in the world. Okay, in the political government and inventing things and making our culture and society a better place. But you know what the fascinating thing is that came about of that? When he tried to, to plan to overcome righteousness? After he spent a long time on it, he wrote in his autobiography these words. I was surprised to find myself so much fuller of faults than I had imagined. On the whole, I never arrived at the perfection the righteousness I had been so ambitious of obtaining, but I fell far short of it. He couldn't conquer righteousness or unrighteousness on his own. And we learned something from Benjamin Franklin and his plan and his experiment. We learned that the more we look at what is righteous... And the more we look into our hearts, into our lives, into our thoughts, into our actions, and we compare the two, the more we do that, the more aware we are of our faults and our shortcomings. It's usually why people, the older they get, they get less judgmental because they see how far they have to go. There's another way of dealing with unrighteousness. Some people don't plan. Some people protest. It sounds like this. I'm not that bad, really. I'm a good person. Well, what does that mean, I'm a good person? Are you better than the guy next door? Are you better than the person sitting next to the pew? Take a look at him. Are you better than them? Are you better than Mother Teresa? Are you better than Benjamin Franklin? Are you better than St. Paul? St. Paul, who said, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. St. Paul, who said, I am the chief of sinners. St. Paul? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that's where we get it wrong. When you talk about the glory of God, when you talk about God and his expectations and his standards for us, we start to compare ourselves to others and things start to change. I had a friend of mine, he once told me this. Uh, it was so funny. He said, you know, I, just, I really don't struggle with sin like other people. Number one, you're lying and you're delusional. Number two... God didn't say that you need to just be a little bit better than the guys around you. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said if you're angry at your brother or sister, you're guilty of murder. Jesus says if you have lusted, you have committed adultery. Jesus said on the other side, he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I have enemies, and I'm telling you, it's hard to love them. Jesus said, Matthew chapter 5, be perfect 
like your heavenly Father is perfect. You see, when we protest against God and say that we're a good person, we're actually redefining his expectations for us. We're taking his word and we're rewriting it and we're basing it on what we think and what the culture thinks and what we see other people doing around us. If you were, think of it in swimming terms. Think of it like this. You think, I'm a good swimmer. I can get out at Newport Beach, I can get out past the wake, and I can even swim out to the end of the jetty and back. I'm a pretty good swimmer. Next guy comes along and says, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good too. I'm a little better than you. I can swim out past the way in the big waves and everything. I can go out past the pier and all the way around. I'm pretty good. Next guy comes along and says, you know what? See that island out there? Catalina, 26 miles. I can swim that. That guy's a pretty righteous swimmer, right? Wow, he's pretty good. He's the best. God expects us to swim to Hawaii and back, and no one can do it. When we redefine God's word and expectations for us, when we protest against them, we cannot deal with unrighteousness. When we do what St. Paul does, when we do what Benjamin Franklin did, when we do what Mother Teresa did, we do what any mature believer does and look straight into the law and to the word of God and see what righteousness is, we agree with Paul, and he says no one is righteous before God. That leads to the third way of dealing with unrighteousness in our life. The third P, a person. You don't just look for someone who is a little bit better than you. You look for someone who is better than all, who's completely righteous, who's perfect. You know the Sunday school answer. It's going to be who? Jesus. Jesus. Ooh, maybe not. Sunday school answer, it's going to be who? Romans 7, 24. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who? Who will rescue me? Not what, how, when, where, but who? Who will rescue me from the body that is subject to death? And he points us to the person. Romans 7, verse 25. He says this. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. All throughout the book of Romans, through Jesus Christ our Lord, through Jesus Christ our Lord, through Jesus Christ our Lord, it says, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Second Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul said it again. He said, God made him, that's Jesus. God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus carried the sin of the world. He carried the brokenness of the world. He carried all of our unrighteousness with him to the cross. He nailed it there. The unrighteousness of Mother Teresa, St. Paul, Benjamin Franklin, you and me. And he gave up his righteousness for us. My friends, as we continue to journey through this Lenten seasons, through this control-alt-delete, rebooting our lives and looking at the struggles that we have in our lives and the unrighteousness and the sins that we hold on to and the sins that hold on to us, There is no plan that we can enact to overcome unrighteousness. No plan. There's no way if we protest against God that we can overcome unrighteousness. The only way is through a person. As we think about resetting our lives and rebooting our lives and moving from regret to repentance, the first place we start with is God and His righteousness. God, instead of a blue screen, Instead of that spinning pinwheel of death, instead of shutting us down, God gives us Jesus. He gives us Jesus and his righteousness. In Jesus, we find the answer to all of our regrets, our remorses, our struggles with sin. I know that there are people in this room this morning that have struggles with sin. 
Maybe you're going through something right now in your life, or maybe it's something you did in your past. I've, I've talked to you before. I've talked to people uh, in the church so many times about struggles and things in the past that plagued them and just weigh you down. You're filled with guilt. You're filled with shame and just struggle with that unrighteousness. You need to hear this morning, as Pastor Nathan spoke a moment ago, that in Jesus Christ, those sins, those struggles, that stuff that haunts you and brings shame into your life is forgiven and wiped clean. The righteousness of God, of Jesus Christ, is given to you. We see that in Jesus, even repentance is a gift. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repent and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out and times of refreshing may come from the Lord. My prayer is that as we journey together through this season of Lent, that times of refreshing come upon us, that our sins may be wiped clean and we feel it and we know it, we experience it in our life as individuals and as a community. My prayer is that we journey together to Holy Week and to Good Friday and to Easter morning, that the sun shining brightly at the resurrection would fill us with joy and times of refreshing would come to us each day, each week, as we connect, as we grow, as we share as the body of Christ.